Well, good morning. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We'll be in the book of Philemon. I will be in the book of Philemon. And if you're like me, Philemon's a small book, and it'll help you to know it comes right before Hebrews. So we'll be in Philemon here in just a moment. We'll be there for the entirety of our lesson. And so we are looking forward to that. And so as I mentioned today, we are looking to continue our lessons that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And at 11, Tim will be bringing us a lesson about peace. And so here this morning, we get to see the fruit of the Spirit applied in the early church. Peace is not something that uh, we are always on the same page about. We're not always talking about the exact same thing when we mention peace. Peace is something our world cares about, though. Um, for the world, when they talk about peace, it is often about an absence of war. But today we're talking about taking it a step further than that, because if it's just not fighting we're talking about, we've got ourselves a little bit of a low bar, although that is hard for a lot of people. But we're going to take it to the next step, which carries with it some reconciliation, and we can take with that a way for us to deepen our bonds in Christ. And part of us taking on the character of God as we have in the fruit of the Spirit is looking more like Him. And if we can do that in peace today, it'll help us as we take on the fruit of the Spirit. And so one of the best examples of peace is in the book of Philemon. And so we'll see our letter together, and we'll see how it inspires us to seek peace as the people of God. So in our letter, we have three main characters. We have Paul, who wrote the letter. He wrote the letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. So Onesimus was a slave, a slave who had ended up in the care of Paul, likely had run away from his master Philemon. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon so that they can be reconciled when he sends Onesimus back to him. So as we read this letter, I want us to think about their three perspectives. I want us to each think about how this letter would feel to send and to receive and have sent on your behalf uh, each respectively. We're going to read the letter all at once because it's a short letter, and that's how Philemon would have read it, and I think it will be helpful for us. So as we read, think about the perspectives of each of the people in this letter. Philemon, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have had toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back 
forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Onesimus is the reason for this letter to be written. Onesimus and Paul are together. Remember, Paul's in prison as he writes this letter. And Paul is sending this letter on Onesimus' behalf back to Philemon so that peace may be found. And so, while Onesimus is away from Philemon, he's now somehow alongside Paul in prison. And Paul being Paul, Onesimus hears the gospel during this encounter. And so, because of that, he is a changed person during his time with Paul. And so Paul is now sending Onesimus back so that he can go back to Philemon. Now, there's something that we need to talk about right off the bat when we approach this letter. Because when we hear that Onesimus was a slave and Philemon was a master, our American ears kind of get a little bit uncomfortable because we have our own histories with that. So let's talk just for a moment about the cultural differences and the way that we can approach this letter so we're hearing it like Philemon did rather than how we might. And so... A couple differences of slavery in their time and our time. Uh, In our time, American slavery is almost always associated with cruelty. That was not necessarily the case in ancient Rome. Uh, Their slavery was, sure, the slaves were on a lower cultural hierarchy than the free people might be. But they weren't necessarily mistreated. And some of the slaves that were with masters were high-ranking slaves and were respected as a, as a, in connection with their master. But it wasn't as extreme as our understanding of American slavery. But even in the best situation, where a slave was serving a good man and his labor wasn't too hard, he still wasn't a free man. He still might have desires to do something more for himself. And so even if Onesimus has the very best situation with Philemon, he might want to be a free man and he might want to escape that. And so Onesimus could be escaping here to try to find a better life. And when he finds Paul, Paul teaches him about the gospel and is now sending him back to Philemon. It's hard to imagine Onesimus learning the gospel from Paul. It's hard to imagine him hearing teachings that Paul gives in passages like Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 4, where Paul talks about masters obey your, or servants, slaves, obey your masters. That's not an easy teaching for him to hear in the life that he's led, but now he has this teaching here in front of him, and Paul is um, helping him to get to Jesus in that way. Onesimus are separated by a large distance, Society differences, and maybe even personal differences. Are you seeing our need for peace yet? 
There is a need for peace to be found because now Onesimus is a child of God. Onesimus is a follower of Jesus Christ. How is he going to reconcile with Philemon? Well, Paul shows us how he approaches peace in this letter. Or what we're going to go through today is not an exhaustive list of everything that is a part of finding peace with someone, but it'll help us get a start, I think. And so we can look at that together. So the, I'm, I'm calling these the ingredients of peace. The reason I call them the ingredients is because it's not really a step. There's not really an order that you have to do this and then this and then this. But these are things that you can expect to find when you pursue peace. So our first ingredient of peace is humility. Uh, notice what Paul calls himself in this letter. Paul, um, but before we do that, let me ask you a question. Ask yourself for a moment what it would feel like to get a letter from Paul. Now, this isn't a letter from Paul that goes to your church or even your region of churches like Galatians. This is a letter specifically addressed to you, asking you to do something. I don't know about you, but I would, okay, Apostle Paul, whatever you want, I'll do it. I will, I will answer your request, and I will fill it with the best I can do. And it would, how easy would it be for Paul to say, I'm an apostle, and I'm going to tell you what to do? Well, we know that's not how Paul approached this situation, even though he could have. In verses 8 and 9, Paul says, I could have said as an apostle to do this, but instead I choose to address you differently. So let's see now all the different ways Paul uh, views himself in this letter. As his relationship to Philemon. In verse 1, he calls Philemon a beloved fellow worker. In verse 7 and 20, he calls him a brother. In verse 17, he calls him a partner. In verse 9, he calls, him, he calls himself an old man appealing to Philemon and a prisoner appealing to Philemon. Which among those are things that Paul is elevating himself above Philemon? He's equaling between them. He is humbling himself in this request to Philemon. He's making sure Philemon knows that Paul isn't doing this out of power or out of control, but he is doing this as a brother in Christ. And while we're at it, let's see what Paul says about his relationship with Onesimus. In verse 10, Paul says he's like a father to him. In verse 16, a beloved brother. In verse 16, he even, and here's the kicker, he even shows Philemon that he and Onesimus are now brothers. There's this great leveling factor that happens in the blood of Jesus Christ that takes us all and makes us all equals, even if our society says otherwise. And so Paul is making sure Philemon knows that there is no difference between them. Paul is also making sure Philemon knows that he sees Onesimus as a brother now. There is nothing in Paul that wants to compare and give himself more power over either of these brothers in Christ. So there's some application for us here. Because when we have conflict and we're trying to seek peace and find peace in the midst of this conflict, we've got to find humility as a part of that. How easy is it to make peace with someone who keeps saying they're better than you? Who keeps reminding you of the difference in how much more power they have than you do? Right? That automatically has a way of turning our ears off, doesn't it? If someone comes to us and they keep pointing out the divide, we don't want to listen. So you may be in a position of power in your life. You may have money or influence or rank at your jobs or even in your church families. 
Those might be times that are the most important times for you to be reminded to be humble. But maybe the rest of us, you know, if we don't have power or influence, we don't have that higher place, we all can relate to one thing that gives us a power. And it's three magic words. I am right. How many of us have said those or thought those when we have a disagreement with someone? That is sometimes all the power we need where we think there's no way that they can best me in this because I am correct in my stance and they are not. We have to be careful with how we approach these people that we might have a disagreement with. Because if we come in thinking that I am right and there's nothing that will get in my way of being correct, we can throw peace right out the window before we even start the conversation. So, there can be humility in how we approach an argument or even a disagreement. So how can we do that? How can we welcome humility as part of ourselves? Well, first, listen. We have a tendency, especially when we're upset, to talk over someone and to not hear their argument, not hear their, their position of what they're trying to say, what they're trying to be, and we can make the problem worse before we even know what the problem is. So we need to listen. We often make disagreements worse because we have selfish communication. If we can be humble enough to keep our mouth shut for just a few minutes, that can help us to find peace. So we can listen. Second, assume the best of the other person. Uh, we often have an issue with how we approach conflict before we get it, even get in the door. Before we go in, we can vilify the other person. We think about all the awful things that they have done to hurt me and how they have wronged me and how they had the worst intentions in doing it. Instead, what if we took a moment, took a moment to just think about what is the best possible motive they could have had to do what they did? What could they have been trying to do, right? And if we think through that, that can help us to seek peace. And then third, be the, the first peacemaker. Because when we're in a position of pride and we've been wronged, our first response is often, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. They wronged me, they should come, they should humble themselves. Well, maybe not. Maybe we should be the ones who go first and write this letter. Paul didn't wait to receive a letter from Philemon saying, will you please send Onesimus back? I wish to reconcile. Paul sent the letter saying, I wish to find peace between you two. So it can help us if we have humility as an ingredient of our peacemaking. But you may have noticed in verses 8 and 9 the motive for Paul's humility. Yet for love's sake, he humbles himself. So love is our next ingredient in finding peace. In verses 10 through 15, we see Paul's attitude towards Onesimus, what he sees about him, what he knows about him. He calls Onesimus a son and a beloved brother. This isn't just Paul writing a, a letter of recommendation, like he's writing it to a, a prospective uh, job or something like that. He is writing a letter about someone he loves to someone he loves. And so Paul is motivated by love for these brothers in Christ. He wants peace before them, and so he shows love. And so the ways he shows love are, are impressive to me. First, he speaks with love. That early paragraph in verses 4 through 7, before he even asks Philemon to do anything, do you notice what he did? 
And 4 through 7, he talks about all that Philemon has meant to him. That he thanks God for him and what he does for the church. And he thanks God for him and what he does for his own encouragement. He even says, I have derived such joy from your love. Paul isn't just showing love towards one or the other also. He is showing love towards Philemon and Onesimus equally. This isn't a letter to berate Philemon. This is a letter to inspire peace through love between Philemon and Onesimus. So we have to consider, to have, uh, we have to have love if we're going to have peace. So consider what conflicts look like if love is not a part of it. Right? We blame and accuse people of wrongdoing quickly. We make no attempts to tell the person that they are important to us. And as a result, we fail to reach a result of peace. I don't have to describe that for very long. That's our world, isn't it? Where we see conflicts escalating and getting worse and worse and worse. Well, love is missing from those peacemaking attempts. And when we are missing love in our attempts to fix relationships, we only push people further away. So, what does love help us to do in peacemaking as our goal? Love helps us to consider others before ourselves. In verses 10 through 15, Paul said that he wanted to keep Onesimus there with him. He didn't want to send him because he was useful to him. Paul wanted to uh, take care of Philemon more, though. He knew Philemon needed Onesimus. He knew Onesimus needed to go back. And so we have the importance of putting others first. Do we let others speak or do we just talk? Do we serve others or are we just waiting to be served? Do we go make peace or do we wait for others to come make peace for us? We've got to put others first if we're going to be peacemakers. So love helps us to consider others before ourselves. Love also helps us to be kind. Paul spoke very kindly to Philemon in this letter. We, we referenced verses 4 through 7, but there are numerous reasons why he could have spoken harshly. Maybe he's just frustrated that peace had to be found between these two brothers of Christ, that there's conflict and it frustrates him that there's conflict between Christians. Maybe when Onesimus arrived, he was upset at Philemon and came with stories of how he felt wronged, and that would have been frustrating for Paul. And that could have come into the way he talked to Philemon. But Paul, not knowing Philemon's side of the story, not knowing what was going on in the whole situation, was willing to speak kindly to Philemon in this letter. So a question I have for us is, do we look for good to speak to others, to encourage, to lift up? Because we can both compliment and we can criticize. And there is a place for both, and both can be done if done uh, correctly with love and wisdom, but we can't lean too far in one direction. We've got to balance that out to where we can give peaceful language to others. And often, on that balance, we're tempted to lean negatively, aren't we? Where our first reaction when we're upset is not to, to praise people, it's to criticize. And so maybe we need to think about who we can encourage with our words this week. Good songs from Jim, by the way. Angry words, oh, let them never from our tongue unbridled slip. We're a people that control our words so that we can speak kindly. So use your words to create peace and build up, not just to tear down.
So love helps us to consider others before ourselves, and love helps us to be kind. Love also helps us to be sacrificial. Because Paul wanted so badly to send Onesimus back, even though it cost him. Paul found Onesimus useful while he was in imprisonment. In fact, the name Onesimus even means useful. Everything about Onesimus was usefulness to Paul. But I want you to think about this. How many people do you think were useful to Paul while he's in prison? How many people do you think he had at his disposal? Sure, at the end of the letter, there's four people listed that are there with Paul, workers with Paul. He had some, but that list wasn't long. He doesn't have an overextending amount of contacts that he could call on for his needs. Paul had limited um, help while he was preaching and, and writing letters in the gospel. So for Paul to send a helper away, someone who was useful to him in this state, is amazing sacrificial love. So a question we need to ask ourselves is, what can we give up for the sake of peace? What can we give up? Can you give up something useful to you as a gesture of the pursuit of peace? Can you impress on others how far you are willing to go because you care about the relationship and making things right with them? Love is an essential ingredient for peace to happen. And it's something Paul shows to both Philemon and Onesimus. And love should be part of us as we continue to pursue peace. And Paul continues to want peace between Philemon and Onesimus. And to do that, he shows grace. And this is verses 17 through 20. Paul concludes his appeal to Philemon to receive Onesimus as he sends him back. Verses 18 and 19 is this impressive offer that Paul gives Philemon on Onesimus' behalf. He says, I will repay anything he owes. Any debts, charge them to my account. This isn't Paul kicking Onesimus out the door. Okay, you're a Christian now. Go on back. Face whatever trouble you have. He sends a letter ahead of him saying, I'm sending Onesimus back. And if there's any trouble, charge it to me. I want to carry that burden. I don't want that to rest on his head anymore. Grace is a gift. It is a gift given to someone who doesn't deserve to be given anything. And Paul offers to pay anything that was owed. So this shows us another way that we can try to find peace with people. Are we trying, are we willing to give to make peace with others? Are you willing to give your money to make peace with others? Are you willing to give our time so that peace may be found? Are you willing to give your energy so that peace may be found? A gift has to be given. If nobody gives, peace is left behind. And so grace is an essential part. Peace can be found even when people are at odds with each other. But for peace to be found, at least one of the people, and I suspect usually both of the people, have to be willing to give. So will you be the person who's willing to give? Will you be the one that's willing to give of what you have to fix a relationship and to help make that happen? Because for us to approach peace and approach grace as an ingredient of peace, we need to remember who we are. Because what happened for us in order that we might have peace? Jesus gave himself for us so that we might have peace. Jesus humbled himself for us. He loved, him, he loved us and he showed 
us grace. And all of that was so that we could have peace in our relationship with God. Philemon, in its own way, is kind of a picture of what Christ has done for us and that peace can be found if these things are given. So how can we deny peace with one another? We have to be willing to be the one who gives. And as we conclude, we need to see the result. What does Paul lead this to? And that's verses 21 and 22. And this is one of the most impressive parts of the letter to me. Because Paul doesn't just say, I expect you to do this and then send the letter. Paul says, I'm confident that you will do it. And for us to seek peace, we need to have faith in people that we continue to seek peace and hope for the best in what they do. Because Paul did all of this. He wrote this letter, sending Onesimus back with the expectation that peace would be found between the two of them. Paul even believes in verse 21 here, or 20, yeah, 21 here, that Philemon will go above and beyond what is requested of him. Paul even wants to come and stay with him. There is no ill will in this letter. It is just an expectation of reconciliation. You know, I'm reminded of the parable of the prodigal son. What did the prodigal expect? Maybe he'll accept me back as a servant. Maybe. I can go. And so he goes, and the father doesn't just accept him back as a servant. He accepts him back as a son and throws a feast in his name and is ready to open, welcome him with open arms. That's the kind of expectation Paul has for Philemon here, that he might exceed all expectations of peace. There is no conflict by the end of this letter. There is only a desire for peace. Love hopes all things, it believes all things. Peace is the expectation. Reconciliation is what we hope for. That is what we do as the people of God. Because if we're going to have the character of God, we have to pursue peace wholeheartedly. We aren't people who pursue peace with cynicism or with the hopes that they'll turn us down so we can be justified that we tried and we are uh, the one who is still morally right. We are people who hope for true reconciliation and peace, like Philemon and Onesimus had. So we are talking about taking on the fruit of the Spirit. We need to do it all the way. We can't just decide peace isn't something that is for me. It's something for all of us, that we seek peace with each other in every aspect of our lives, that we need to be peacemakers, people who God wants us to be. Paul shows us that if we do it, we can fill ourselves with humility, with love and grace as we go into every relationship we have. So let's do that this week. We're going to have a song to encourage us in this. I ask that you stand as we sing.